Well, good morning. How's everybody today? A little bit chilly? A little bit, yeah. You're supposed to snow tomorrow, so we're glad you're here and warm with us now. Uh, if you're in Kidman, I'm going to go ahead and let you go. I perceive that you are going to get out of school tomorrow, kids. It's President's Day. You have no choice, Leslie. It's time to do some emergency planning if you didn't realize kids are out of school tomorrow. But anyways, we're glad you're here with us today and uh, happy Valentine's Day to you. Uh, I've got a couple of things I just want to make you aware of. One, over the next couple of weeks, uh, a children's theater group is actually going to be here doing a children's play over the next couple of weekends. And so uh, we're, you may, if you're here through the week, you may see them doing something at night. Uh, we shouldn't really be getting in each other's way, but uh, that's going to be happening over the next couple of weeks. There's going to be a lot of activity in here. If you do see them, let's just be uh, as welcoming and uh, kind. I know you will be as we can um, as they're using this space. Uh, they're doing a, a musical of Peter Pan, so I think that will be fun. If you want to come, it's going to be on Saturday and Sunday nights. I mean, I'm sorry, Friday and Saturday nights, and you're welcome to come and, and take part in that as well. Also, I just want to thank all of you that signed up to help. Uh, we told you about some needs we had in our children's ministry, and several of you have already signed up. Uh, we've got babies covered, uh, but I've been informed we still have a couple of needs. We need a couple of extra helpers. You don't have to, to teach. You, if you want to, you can. Uh, but what we need are a couple of helpers that can be in there just to help manage the chaos uh, and, uh, in, in preschool. And then we need one in elementary age. So Deidre will be out back here if you're um, able to do that. And uh, again, we're just so thankful for all of you that are, are signing up and serving. Uh, a number of you who are new to Journey, we're, we're so happy to have you. And uh, it's what is wonderful for me to see are, are when you come in to, to a new place is getting involved in serving and in small groups. And so many of you are doing that, and we're so thrilled about that. That is the way you get really tied into a local community is through service and groups. Because when you come in here on Sunday mornings, you can see somebody, say hello, but you can't really get to know people until you spend time with them um, outside of Sunday morning. So we would love for you to participate in doing that. I want to say thank you to Jennifer, who's been, this is her second time, helping to lead worship today. Everybody say thank you to Jennifer. Yeah, we're so happy to have her up here. And uh, being a part, if you're a musician or interested in getting involved, you can see Richard, and I know he would love um, to have you do that. Uh, over the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about God, and you would expect to talk about God in church, but we've been talking specifically about who God is, His characteristics. Now, we recognize that a series like this doesn't always get the same attention as a series that we're talking about a need that you feel. Sometimes when we talk about things that you feel, it's easier to engage and be excited about those things. So when we talk about the attributes of God, this is really something to help you grow deeper in your faith. And, and here's the key. What we could do is just give you a lot of series based on felt needs. And we will just tell you how you're supposed to respond to different things that happen in life. And there's a lot of places that do that. The problem is you never grow deeper in your own faith by having someone else tell you what God wants you to do. Instead, you begin to grow when you begin to connect with God on a deeper level than worship, but you begin to study Him. You begin to study His Word, and you begin to hear directly from God. It's the ability to be a self-educator, someone who can grow and take responsibility for their own growth. 
And so what we're trying to do is lay out a foundation for how you can do that. But in order for us to truly approach God, we need to understand some very basics about who he is. And while we could literally spend every single week talking about a different characteristic of God, we have chosen a few to get us started. And we'll come back another time and we'll take some others on. And the primary ones that we've looked at so far is just God's greatness. God's greatness. God is greater than anything we can imagine. And we looked at a quote from Anselm of Canterbury. He, he gave us what became known as the ontological argument that said, God is that which nothing greater can be perceived or conceived of. So in other words, if you want to think about who a perfect God would be, he is so much better than the very best projection that we can come up with. God is just so overwhelmingly incredible From the very beginning, all that ever existed was God, and everything that does exist came from God. So He is everything. And God chose to create us. And one of the wonderful things about God is not only did He choose to create us, He didn't choose us to be like an ant farm that sat on a wall so He could just watch these peculiar beings go about their daily business. But instead, He wanted to walk with us, to know us, to have a relationship with us, to share with us the greatness of who he was. He created you and he created me for that purpose, to know him and walk with him, not to entertain him. Although some of us are more entertaining than others. That's not why he created us. He's a great God. Now, last week, we looked at one of the primary characteristics of God that moves a lot of his action in the world. And it's one that can be very difficult for some to really stomach. And it's the belief in the idea that God at his core is righteous. God is righteous. What if God were arbitrary? What if God changed his mind? What if God's The way he made decisions based on how he would act. What if he started with one foundation and then decided to shift to a different one? And we really didn't know from day to day what rules God was operating under. What if he consistently became something different so that we never understood who he was or really what he wanted from us? What if God were arbitrary? What we know about God's righteousness is that there is an underlying righteousness that he operates from and it never changes it never changes now within the church a lot of times we don't like the idea of talking about righteousness because with righteousness always comes justice god must act because of his righteousness on anything that is unrighteous And what we can do if we're not very careful to look at all the characteristics of God is we can begin to paint him into this very angry picture of a God who looks at you doing something wrong and he can't wait to punish you for it. What we looked at last week is that God is righteous, but his righteousness is not about punishment. God's desire and God's True motive in righteousness is not to punish us. If you remember the word righteousness means to be correct, or in many places in Scripture, it is to have a correct relationship with. God's righteousness is not fulfilled through punishment, but through the deliverance from unrighteousness. That is what justice truly is. A lot of times when we watch movies or, you know, it's the good guys versus the bad guys, 
we sometimes miss the understanding of what true justice is because in our emotional human minds and hearts, we often equate justice with vengeance. Vengeance being they will get their due for doing such a heinous thing. Justice being what is right will prevail. There's a difference there. Now, sometimes we confuse that even when we talk about God. And when especially if we look at someone who is hurting others, we sometimes confuse justice from vengeance. And we want God to take vengeance on those people for how they are hurting others. Where if we were true students of Scripture, we would know if God were to act in vengeance towards one act of unlawfulness, unrighteousness, and he would have to act similarly to every one of us because we're all guilty. So God doesn't act in vengeance. God acts in justice. His righteousness demands justice. He cannot be just blind to terrible things that happen in the world. But I want you to know that you were not created simply to play this game of am I doing what's right or wrong or, or which group am I supposed to be a part of or, or how do I please God. But you were created literally to walk with him in his righteousness. That's what you were created for. That's what I was created for. Adam and Eve walked with God. It wasn't this thing where we would pray or, or people would create idols. Literally, they would walk with God. He would show up in the garden with them and he would share his life with them before sin entered. That's what we were created for. When God created you, he created you to reflect his image. And within his image, you were created to walk in righteousness and the things that he knew were what were best What were the very best things possible? God knew that and he created us to walk in that. That is why you and I sometimes struggle with conscience because we were created to walk as God wants us to walk. Yet something inside of us when sin entered the world pushes us to do otherwise. And so we have this inner conflict, this inner struggle. Because sometimes we're not on par with knowing God's word or being able to communicate with him about our actions or going to him asking for wisdom before we make a decision. Sometimes we struggle with wondering, is this the right thing to do? Or we leave it up to somebody to tell us if it was the right thing to do rather than to truly seek God for ourselves to know how we should act. And when we put that in the hands of someone else, we take it out of the hands of the one who is greater than all that can be perceived. The one who not only wrote the book on righteousness, he is righteousness. Now, the best that I try, I'm never going to be able to match him. I'm never going to be able to reason within this mind, even though I've been created in his image. I will never be able to reason at the the place that God reasons. I'll never be able to know right from wrong based on how God knows right from wrong. And you won't either. That, That creates for us today a problem. Because we can't reason the way he does. We can't think the way that God does. His ways are so much greater than our ways. And so if we understand that God is righteous, we understand that we have to pursue him. Now I recognize this kind of stuff is is for those who are, are probably more hungry than others. It's for those that are farther along in their faith than others. But what I hope it will be is a, a jumping off point for you to say, this is what I want. In my life. What I want to try to do is I want to encourage you that this characteristic of righteousness is not just a primary characteristic of God, but it is in conjunction with what is just coincidentally 
something we're talking about on Valentine's Day with God's love. When sin entered the world, it changed all of creation. If you go back and you read the story in Genesis, you're going to find that as Adam and Eve walked with God, once they ate of the tree that God said, don't eat from this. That is wrong. That is not what is right. That is not correct. Stay away from that. Once they did that, everything changed. God walked into the garden asking, where are you? Knowing full well where they were. And because of his righteousness, their act of unrighteousness required justice to correct that which was wronged. And so they left the garden. God said, life's going to get harder. It's going to be more difficult for you. That's the consequence of choosing a path that's less than good. And we have been struggling with that literally for the rest of humanity. God's righteousness requires justice. It's in your DNA to walk as God would walk. It's just as irrefutable in your life as wanting to love someone. It's as irrefutable as wanting to be successful. It's as irrefutable as the need for us, just as we are created in His image, to want to create and to daydream and to believe in things greater than they are. It's irrefutable in you to walk with Him in righteousness. Romans 8.22 says this, We know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, we have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies, for in this hope we were saved. See, this is where we need to move away from the area of vengeance into what God sees as justice. Because justice recognizes the harm that unrighteousness does to creation and seeks to correct it. I want you to let that sink in. True justice recognizes the harm that unrighteousness does and seeks to correct it. Not punish it, but to correct it. Now, some of you grew up in different places where correction and punishment are the same thing, right? It's time for some correction, son. That's just punishment, and you know it. But what he's trying to do is to right that which has become harmful. We understand God's righteousness and his justice as a desire to right that which is harmful. It changes the way we view sin and the way we view God's instructions towards us. See, what we know from not just the rest of culture, but sometimes our own response to God is that while God is often rejected because of his rules, what we recognize is that God seeks to repair or to restore that which is decaying. We say, God, I don't want rules. God, let me do what I want to do. See, there's a very difference in what true love is and what a feeling of being loved is. Have you ever? Have you ever been led astray by a feeling? Did you know that most arguments have nothing to do with the content of what is being said? The majority of it is the tone in which it is shared. So it may not be what was actually said, it was how it was said. So the tone creates in us a feeling that may defy the content of what was actually stated. 
Now, you're sitting beside a significant other and you're thinking, man, we get we get mad over the dumbest things. I mean, we just blow up over the dumbest things. And after we finally get it all out of our system, we recognize we this wasn't what we were saying. It's because sometimes we overlook the truth for how we feel about something. It's the same way with God's love. It's the same way that we perceive love from others. And it begins when we're children. As a child, how do you feel love? Now, maybe as a, an infant, you feel love because you're cuddled or you feel safe and secure and warm and you feel fed and you know, your diaper gets changed. and that, You're just glad that someone's taking care of those basic needs. You don't even recognize they're being taken care of. You just know when they're not. As you get older, love becomes felt when we have more freedom, right? If you love me, let me do what I want to do. Anybody ever thought that? Anybody ever heard that from your kids? Anybody ever thought that about your parents? I did. I certainly did. Why are they limiting me? I know what's best. Right? See, for a lot of us, we get confused because we got our feelings come in. And we we look at what God is doing. We look at his rules and we say, God, if you loved me, you wouldn't try to limit me. And so I reject you. While God is often rejected because of his rules, he seeks to restore that which is decaying. John 3, 16 says, for God so, what's the word? Loved the world that he gave his only son. Whoever believes in him should not perish the consequences of unrighteousness, but would have eternal life. For God, listen to this did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Now, right there, it messes up with a lot of the portrayals of the gospel in the world. If the gospel is not about condemning people, what is it really about? Well, I mean, I'm good with God, but you're not, so tough for you. Is that really an expression of the gospel in its truest form? No. Because his love was there for us, not to condemn us. For God did not send his son to condemn the world, but in order that he, the world might be saved through him. Correct. To restore, to stop that which is decaying. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name, the only son of God. Now, there is a push theologically in the world. It's not new. It's been happening from the beginning. There is a push to say God will never condemn a person to a life outside of heaven with him eternally. There is a push for that right now. It's not new. It happens every so often, and it just gets more steam when more well-known people push that. God would never cause somebody to go to hell. And while that's true, God doesn't ever cause anyone to go to hell. God does let us choose to totally reject him. To totally reject him. If God did not allow that to happen, we could not say God is just. Yet when we want to say God is just, we are in the wrong place when we begin to say God is not love if he is just. Why? Because at our core, you and I want to be told we can do whatever we want to do. So we want. There's something in each of us that wants to be allowed to pursue our every desire that we have. There's something in us that says you are living a good life 
if you get to pursue all of your desires. And the person who lived the best life is the one who got the most of their desires met. That's the way we think internally. The problem is that we know that not every desire is good for us, right? Right? If God truly gave each of us all of our desires, what would our lives look like? What would our communities look like? What would our faith look like? Verse 19, this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. People loved the darkness because we love to pursue our desires. They love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light, does not come into the light, lest his works should be exposed. Whereas righteousness exposes unrighteousness. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. When sin entered the world, it changed the way we see ourselves and we see God. We no longer walked with him and said, he is righteous. He is good. He is one that I want to be with. He then became the enemy for much of humanity because he would not let us pursue every desire that we had. As children, as a child, I perceived freedom as love. The older you get, the more you want that freedom. One of the things that uh, is a really a good tool for parenting, this is an extra, a good tool for parenting is never give your kids everything that they want or they will never leave. <laughs> and right now, for some of you, that's not a bad thing. You're fine for them to stay forever, but I'm telling you, you will reach a point where you want them to leave. If you give them everything they want, they'll never leave. Give them the tools to survive well, but don't give them everything they want. It starts early, early on as a child. Why can't I play in the street, right? Every parent knows this. You cannot give your child everything they want, yet we somehow feel that God should give us as his children everything we want. You can't play in the street. Well, why can't I play in the street? Because we know what could happen. By doing that, even though that's your desire and sounds like a lot of fun, could lead to great harm for you. Why can't I throw the ball through the window? It makes a great sound. It's a lot of fun. It's like target practice. We know the harm that comes by throwing the ball through the window. Why can't I stay up till 3 in the morning on a school night to play video games? Because we know while that would be fun until 3 a.m. the next day, there would be consequences for those actions that could affect you long term. We get older, the costs go up. Why can't I go to my friend's party while their parents are away? It amazes me how many parents are like, yeah, sure, go ahead. Either you are extremely sheltered or you are not looking out for what's best for your children if you do that. Why can't I go to their party? Don't you trust me? No. I don't. You know why I don't trust you? Because I know me at your age. So why can't I do that? As they continue to grow, why can't I sleep with someone I care about? Even if we're not married. Because there is harm in doing that. Why does God say you should not sleep with someone who is not your spouse? Because he knows there is harm that comes in to your life by doing that. But we perceive the greatest harm is that we don't get to pursue our desires. But God's righteousness says, I cannot let you go into harm's way 
unaware. And so he puts restrictions on us. We don't have a problem with our children doing that. But as we become adults, we have more and more of a problem with that. And our desires, they just keep going. They just keep growing. They never stop. When you don't learn boundaries and disciplines within your life, you become enslaved to your passions. You become enslaved to your desires. And that feels all wonderful and good until one day the reason that God says this is harmful becomes evident and you can't escape it. You know it hurts. You know it's harming you. You know it's harming others. See, as Christians, whenever we look at activities within the world... God is not telling us to stay away from these things because he doesn't love us. He's telling us to stay away from them because he does love us. And I don't have the ability to reason with God. So when he tells me this is not good, I have to listen to him because he sees farther than I see. As we mature, we recognize that a lot of our desires can hurt us, not help us. As you mature, you are more welcoming of this concept of God's righteousness and justice. Whereas when you're younger and more immature, this is a hard one to sometimes grasp. Again, while God is often rejected because of his rules, God's love seeks to restore that which is decaying. I have some friends in another city, and if you're not aware of what happens at prom. There are prom parties that go on now. Parents who rent out cabins and hotels and let their kids just go. There's one in particular just south of us in which parents had rented a cabin, stocked it full of alcohol, let their kids go and stay all night with no adults whatsoever. Of course, there's no adults. We found out the next day the number of young girls that were traumatized in that event. There are some things that lead to harm. And while freedom feels good in the moment, the harm will last a lifetime. See, God's love is not because he wants you to be restricted. God's love is he knows that you will move in places that cause harm. Would you let your kids go do it just so they could feel happy? Or would you act in a way that ensures the least amount of harm for them? I know there's a two-edged sword here. The helicopter parents, the pipe up every germ before it hits your kid, the I'll never let my kids ever go out in public and do anything with anyone. I know there's a other side of this coin. But in God's righteousness, he sets all of this in motion to help us avoid decay. We read about a story of Jesus coming on someone who was living a life that was Troubling and harmful both for her and for her community. And what we can learn about his response to her is just incredible. Who God is and his nature. John chapter 7. They went each to his own house. Jesus went to the Mount of Olives early in the morning. He came again to the temple. All the people came to him and sat down and taught them. The scribes, the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery. And placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman who's been caught in the act of adultery... Now, the punishment at this time is death. There is punishment, and it's death. When God gave us the Ten Commandments, when, he, when the law became in to show us what righteousness is different from unrighteousness, there were consequences. That's the reason that Jesus came to eradicate that system. 
And they brought her in. The punishment for this is death. She's hurting our community. She's, you know, dying inside herself. This woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? This they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down, wrote with his finger on the ground, and as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground, but when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. Why did the older ones? They knew. They knew. You just needed somebody to put it in terms in which they could comprehend what they already knew to be true. They knew. Verse 10, Jesus stood up and he said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go from now on and sin no more. Oh, why did God not, or Jesus, who is God, but why did Jesus not punish? Jesus continued to show the characteristics of God fleshed out in this world. Why did he not punish her? That was the law. Because if righteousness leads to vengeance, then she must be stoned. But if righteousness leads to justice, which seeks to correct that which is harmful to people, it doesn't lead to punishment it leads to redemption god's ultimate love has always been about redemption not about punishment at his core you cannot separate god from righteousness you cannot separate god from love the gospel demonstrates god's love in the midst of destructive sin in our lives so when these issues come up and we could just go through all the top issues of the day when these issues come up We cannot simply say, well, the Bible says you shouldn't do it, so don't do it. And that's the way we respond most of the time, and we look foolish doing it. Because there's no love in that. In love, we look and we see the pain and the torment and the decay happening because of these actions, and we seek to help help them to be restored. That is very different than seek to punish them because we disagree with them. So God is simultaneously righteous and God is simultaneously love. The gospel demonstrates God's love in the midst of the consequences of sin. 1 John 4 says, anyone who does not love does not know God. I mean, it is of the most basic core components of existence, love. Because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love. Not that we've loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation of our sins. Behold, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. It changes. It's a subtle change for some of us. But it changes the way we see God and his work in this world. It changes the way we see the gospel. And it changes the way we respond to people who act in ways that we know are hurting others. We see his righteousness through the lens of love. Above all things, 
God is love. I've got a video, 1 Corinthians 13. You've read it, heard it before, but let's see a little bit of it in action. Above all things, God is love. Instead of God trying to be the great killjoy that the rest of the world sees him as, rather than rejecting him because he doesn't give us the freedom to pursue our every desire, what God wants is for our wholeness. Righteousness is the pursuit of wholeness. Sin is the decay of that which was created to be whole. It has very real consequences. Some of those consequences are very obvious. People are hurt. It's very obvious of their hurt. We see the consequences of that sin. There are times that sin is hidden. It is felt, but it is not as obvious except for the one who is most affected. Above all things, God is love. God doesn't love like you and I love. We have the opportunity to love or to hate. We have the opportunity to encourage or to tear down. We have the opportunity to be there for someone or to abandon them. That's, that's the way we have that capability because we can go either way, but God cannot. Love is inseparable from Him. Our, our ability to love anything, to love our spouse, to love our kids, to love our friends, to love our family, to love the opportunities we have in life, to love our jobs... All of that comes because God has built within us the ability to love because he is love. 
So as we look through Scripture, we read it through the lens of God's love. When we look through God's commandments, we read them through the lens of God's love. When we look through God saying, this is where you spend your time and your energy, we read it through the lens of God's love. When we read about the gospel, we read about the gospel through the lens of love, not through the lens of vengeance. Because that is who God is. Let me read you just some different scriptures talking about love and righteousness. 1 John four sixteen. We have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. Whoever abides in love abides in God. And God abides in him. If we can love as God loves, we are abiding with God because God is love. Psalm 145, 17 says, If everything God does is right, this is the message version, the trademark on all his works is love. Psalm 119, 137 says, Righteous are you, O Lord, and upright are your judgments. Psalm 33, 5, He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. Proverbs 21, 21 Whoever pursues righteousness and love finds life, prosperity, and honor. So when we recognize that God's righteousness is motivated by his love, we will pursue both. God's righteousness is motivated by his love. Not anger, not condemnation. It's motivated by love. Here's what I would leave you with. There's so much to be taken away from all of this. When we know God, we will walk in his righteousness and his love. We will do it. You and I will choose that. We will not walk in righteousness because of some legalistic need to follow all the rules. We will walk in righteousness because we recognize that is where wholeness lies. We won't walk in love Because God says you're supposed to walk in love, we will walk in love because we're experiencing it, and that is where wholeness lies. We begin to change the way we view love. Right now, the culture around you tells you that if you love someone, you will never tell them to stop doing what they're doing. That that is not love. Love is simply you and I letting everybody go their own way, do their own thing problem is is we won't do that with anyone we truly care about if we're truly going to care about the world around us we've got to care about the things that are harming the world around us however if we truly believe that justice is about bringing someone to wholeness not about vengeance it will change the way we talk about these things in the world there are times that my children don't like the things that i tell them there are times that I don't like the things that God tells me. There are times I don't feel loved by God's instructions to me because I still mix up this feeling of love with a lot of cruddy stuff that's been going on in creation since sin entered it. It does not mean that I don't love my children. It does not mean that God doesn't love me. We've got to expand how we understand love. It's got to be more than just making someone feel loved. 
We've got to recognize that true love will have a cost. And in our case, the cost was Jesus' death on the cross. Yet you and I can experience wholeness because of it. I want you to know, some of you that are going through some trials right now, you may question, does God still love me? Because if he did, I wouldn't be going through these trials. I want you to know that there are times God wants you to go through trials, and that is him showing his love for you because he wants you to grow beyond where you are. There are other times that he wants you to trust him in a time where you're struggling to trust And if you believe that God cannot love you if he allows you to fail, let me just throw a wrench in that and say that there are times God will force you to fail. You know, this it's wrong, this idea that if God loves me, I'll never nothing bad will ever happen. God will cause you to fail because it is in failure that we often bow in reverence and humility before him. And that is a key to knowing him. So if my pride is being built up by my success, why would it be a surprise that God and his love would remove some of my pride, thereby some of my success that's causing that pride, that I would be humble before him and would seek him more than my success? God will cause you to fail. God will allow things to go wrong, not because he doesn't love you, but because he loves you. Because he's trying to lead you to a place of wholeness. That we are so desperately trying to construct ourselves in this world on our own. That that just leads to more decay. If you and I want to embrace the characteristics of God, then we have to embrace his righteousness and his love. And we have to understand both of them in the context of each other. God's righteousness is expressed through his love. God's love is a response of his righteousness. You and I have the opportunity to follow him, to know him. And when we do that, we will want to walk in his righteousness and his love. Now, like I said in the beginning... We literally could go on for weeks of different characteristics of God. If you really get into the study of the theology and doctrine of God, you get into his word and you really want to dissect all that it says about him, you'll come into some really incredible things about God. Some of the, uh, some of the assumptions you've made about God will be dashed against the rocks. You'll go in and you'll read places. If you really want to start messing up your idea of who God is, start getting into some of the original languages. Find out where God is referenced not just as a man, but also as a woman. And then sometimes he's referenced as neither. Remember Anselm, he's so much greater than what we can possibly perceive of. If you want to see some of the incredible acts that God has done in the world, dig into scripture and you'll find it's an incredible thing. Now, I told you when we started this little thing, mini-series, I told you that we could have gone one of two ways. We either could have gone and started with Scripture, or we could have started with God, because what we know about God, we know through Scripture, and yet the only reason we have Scripture is because God breathed it so that we would have it, right? So what we're going to do next is we're going to talk about God's Word. It's going to be another short thing, and we're going to take kind of a break from this, this kind of teaching, because you know there's only so much of this you can take at one time. But over the next year, year and a half, we're going to continue talking about these kinds of topics because 
what we want more than you coming and going, those were great sermons. Well, you know, I don't know if you feel that way or not, but I'm just going to assume you're coming back for one reason or another. At least they're not terrible. As much as for a pastor, it feels great for somebody to go, oh, that's really great. You know what's really great for a pastor? Is when you're able to solve the issues happening in your life without a sermon. And instead, you've been able to do it walking hand in hand with God. That's the whole purpose of all of this. It's the purpose of small groups. That's the purpose of worship services. That's the purpose of church communities. It's not that we give you all that you need, but yet you take it and you become people who say, I will be in charge of my own growth. I will not require another person to do that for me. I really want you to take this stuff in. So over the next couple of three weeks, we're going to be talking about, can we really trust Scripture? We're going to be looking at it from a historical standpoint. We're going to be looking at it from a doctrinal standpoint. We're also going to be understanding what did God say about Scripture. So this next few weeks are going to be crucial. We're going to follow that up with a series on fear. Because here's what we know. The number one thing that will keep you from following God is fear. And all of us are steeped in it. We have fear in any number of things. In our lives, fear of failure, fear of not making it long term in our lives, fear that something's going to happen to someone we love, fear that we're going to get sick, fear for someone who is sick that they're not going to get well. There's all kinds of fears out there. God says we are not to live lives of fear. So that's where we're headed over the next several weeks. And I hope that you'll join us, hope that you'll get involved in serving and in small groups and recognize that we grow when we decide that we're going to dig into God's word and we want to know and follow him more. So that's where we're headed, and I hope you'll join us. Would you pray with me? Father, God, we thank you for incredible love that not only you have shown us, but the love that you are. I thank you that you are not a God of vengeance, but you are a God of justice. I pray for those in the world that right now they are suffering in great ways, ways that are just tearing communities apart, tearing families apart, tearing whole nations apart. Father, we know that the creation is crying out for you to come and to deliver us from all of this unrighteousness that is being perpetuated in so many ways. God, I thank you that you sent your son, that in spite of that, we can know you now. I thank you for the opportunity to walk with you again and to be with you for all of eternity in heaven. I thank you that even though we often turn the way that you would not have us to turn, that you welcome us back because of your love. I pray that not only would we experience that in our own lives, would we experience that in our own walk with you, but you would help us to show that to others in small ways, in large ways. Help us to show people at work. Help us to show people at school. Help us to show people in our communities love. And Father, I pray that if we are a part of anything that is leading to destruction and decay in our lives, that we have fully embraced as a great desire to have. If it is destructive in your eyes, let us face it and do away with it. Give us the strength to follow your righteousness and your love. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.